my first real psychedelic experience is that Raymond Sarek, you know Raymond Sarek? Absolutely. Dude, I'm looking at his album with Tony Williams right now. Yeah, and and uh, and also uh, and also uh, you know what's his face, <laughs> you know. Well, with Jim Morrison, of course. Yeah, Jim Morrison. Yeah. Yeah, Jim. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, Jim Morrison's ex girlfriend, Candace. Is a very dear friend of mine. Oh my God! Yeah, no, she was with she no, she was with Jim for three years before he uh, before he even did the uh, thing in Florida. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, you, did you you were you got dosed at a door show or men's Eric would have? No, 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 no. It was at a, I read Huxley and Morrison. Uh, Morrison read the doors of perception, heaven or hell. I was at the Beverly Hills at a Capitol convention <laughs> introduce, introducing, uh, you know, when I was vice president of rock. Absolutely. I was, I was introduced to the Apple Corps and Debbie Harry in the band I produced, The Wind and the Wolves. And Debbie was in. That's right. And, uh, and, uh, I was, and then. And Zarek is a very dear friend of mine, and then he told me about Jim and what happened with the book, and that he tried it too. So I I had to bring back a book for me, and I read the book, and then I called Debbie, and she knew people in L.A. It was in L.A., and uh, and uh, that was it. It was it. It was organic Indian mescal done the same exact way. It stood on the reservations. Uh, Native Amer Native American mescaline? No, it's 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 it's, uh, it's similar. It's 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 the heavy one, you know. Oh, Huxley? it's like I like ayahuasca. Yeah, 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 right. You know, Huxley is. Yeah, absolutely. No, I want no, you. Huxley, I, this is what I wanted Huxley, to. Huxley, yeah. Huxley's book, The Doors of Perception, Heaven or Hell, tells the story. Absolutely, no, no. I was going to say, but you wanted to. It's all about Huxley experimenting with it. With LSD, no, no, I, I dig. My question is, how did it fundamentally change your songwriting? Oh, no, well, you know what? The fact that I've been meditating for 20 years when that happened, Whoa. and the fact that I've been doing Buddhist chanting, and the fact that I'm a coin number one, and my half Torah is the first four lines of the Torah, <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of spiritual stuff going, which stuff was an accident. It wasn't just a drug dealer from Florida. What do you mean? Michael. What do you think Michael did? For, Michael came to me. Michael lived with me for a year and a half. I was living on Sutton Place already. I, I went from a Brooklyn kid to Fifth Avenue or Sutton Place. And before Woodstock, I ran Mercury, I ran Roulette, then I ran Capital Rock. Stop right there. You ran Roulette Records. I put out Hanky Panky. Dude, you were it. affiliated with the Jewish Mafia and the, and the weren't you? Morris Mar Levy, of course. Oh, dude, Mar Artie, we need, let's just talk about this right now. First of all, what got you on, did you know you were meditating? 20 years before that, you were a kid. That went, you know, when well, man... I wasn't meditating. I was, okay, Artie Kornfeld had to go to a lot of schools because his folks moved. But Artie, Artie Kornfeld was president of the class of 64 at Adelphi College. Artie Kornfeld pitched a perfect game against West Point. <laughs> and Artie Kornfeld was all-state, first-year solo symphony trumpet player. And then Artie started to write, and then he transferred to American University and started hanging out with Cass 
and I picked up a guitar, and this is Cass Elliot. Yep. And Cass and I started hanging out, and then I, I left school three quarters of the way through my sophomore year, and within uh, four months, compliments signed me to Screen Gems. So Donnie, Donnie Kershaw signed me within four months after I decided I was going to be a songwriter. And then I met Jan Berry, and Jan and I wrote the follow-up to my boyfriend's back. I adore him. This is all of my first three months writing. And well, then uh, we produced Johnny Crawford from The Rifleman, and then we uh, and then we had another hit. I forgot what it was. Well, no. I, I first of all, going back, to, going back to the symphonic bag, I mean, I want to know... Luciano Berrio, were you were you listening to very avant-garde uh, classical music at that time? Oh no, no I was I was more of a I was playing classical music because that's that was a program in school. My folks didn't have money, so in order to uh, get a trumpet, it was a dollar a month, and you got a trumpet. Oh, that is lunch. great. And this is in North Melbourne, Long Island. Oh, beautiful, dude! What is that? Is that Suffolk County? I think so. Or no, that's Nassau. That's yeah, yeah. Right. I'm a Suffolk County cat. Yeah, go ahead. I, I lived in I lived on Comac Road. <laughs> I lived in I lived in Birchwood Estates. But you're telling me you were a closet bebopper? Uh, no. I would say I was I, I was just what I said. I, I I maybe it might be a description. Yeah. No, what I'm saying is that you you were you you played the symphonic music. There was probably not even a jazz program at Adelphi, right? Oh no, I also played in the marching band. I played at half times. I played jazz. Were you infatuated with your parent, the popular music of your parents' time during? Well, did... just remember, my mother founded the Freedom Rides. I don't come from a family of dopes. Okay, well, first of my, all, my, they they were they. Mo- yeah, go ahead. You know what the Freedom Rides were. Oh, uh, Art Blakey, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, people that went well, down to... to my, my, I, I read an article by Al Sharpton just about my mother. And in my book, check out the Pied Piper of Woodstock on Amazon. I didn't want to publish it. I published it myself. And there's a letter from the Congress of Racial Equality, a full-page letter just about my mother. She, you, got, you guys, you had a hard scrab, so, but she was always an activist. Always. Now... Um, she she started Save the Whales, you know. She did? Yeah. Yeah, my mother was a tripper. My dad was a Olympic swimmer and a, was a cop. Were you going to, did you get, even though you moved around a lot, did you get a chance to see Clifford Brown, Max Roach? Did you get to see those cats live? Yeah. Can you talk about, at that time, to me, the most appealing thing for young cats, especially white cats, was just that the the jazz lifestyle and uh, to me oh, like that. No, I was a rocker. I I listened to. I even produced Murray the K's theme for his TV show with Murray Singer. Oh, that is fantastic! I, I, I produced Murray the K, and I also produced the only time Woody Allen sang in a movie. Which was what? Uh, Chicken of the Sea. It was a small movie, and uh, Woody uh, called me and asked me to write something and. Jan Berry and I wrote it. And then I started writing with Brian Wilson, you know, and just hanging with Brian was great. <laughs> so, um, Woody was basically a relatively unknown cat at that time? No, don't forget, I also wrote three songs on the Cookies album, the one that had Chains, 
that was the big hit in England and that the Beatles did the cover of Kings. Oh, I wrote with Goffin and King, Man and Wild. I wrote with Bacra. I, I wrote with I wrote with Jimmy. I wrote with a lot of people. Buddy Miles was a good friend. Were you? But but I, I guess I guess my passed. the the idea of of um, the genesis of roulette. I mean, Charlie Charlie. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Roger Hawkins, the Hawk, signed his life away and wound up moving to Canada and never came back. Dizzy was on that label. What was the genesis? Was that was that a Jewish yeah, mafia label? Well, Moish Levy, Moish was his name. Yeah, that was Marsh. the original original yeah. Birdland cat. You are well, Birdland, dude. Well, You're Birdland. Birdland. He also earned the Peppermint Lounge. He, um, he ran the round table. Whoa, whoa. I did not know and that. He, and he also, he also had a, uh, a, a horse ranch. Ah, this is Jersey. great, dude. Moish Levy, yeah. What happened was I was with Charlie, Charlie Compliment and I met in a snack bar in Queens College at night. And I was bragging because I had cut a demo that I saved 50 bucks and I cut my first demo and I was in night school because I had left them because I decided I wanted to do music. I didn't want to be a lawyer. Right. And uh, I actually roomed with Hubert Humphrey's son in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Now, I had a quite a... Yeah, you should get the pipe pipe for a Woodstock. It's a hit in a lot of countries. And I just had the number one internet. Uh, I mean, uh, well, no, Artie, the, but go back to the, you were you were. Do you, you know about Bensonhurst Blues by Oscar Benton Blues Band? It was it was the number one. Uh, it was the number one. Uh, whatever that's called. <laughs> but no, so so roulette. He oh, he had a budget label that. Oh, it was the number one YouTube record last year. It was called Bensonhurst Blues. Bensonhurst Blues. Oscar Benton Blues Band, and I wrote. It. And it's a Jewish song. Wow. Yeah, it was just number one in the Ukraine last month. Really? Yeah, oh yeah, it was number one in 19 countries. Was it number one, was it in the, was it, it was number one in this country? No, it never got played here. It, but it was number one uh, all over the place. Not only that, you know, Alain Delon, the French actor. Sure. He heard the song, you know he is? He's like the Robert Redford. The yeah, Francis absolutely. Was. Well, he, he heard the song. The song was number one four times in France. And Elaine Delon just said, if I, ever, if I ever write and produce my own movie, I'm going to use Benson's Blues as the opening title, the closing title, and the, and the background music. And uh, I was coming out of Paul Marshall, my attorney, you know Paul Marshall, the yes, lawyer? Yes, sure. Well, Paul was my lawyer. In fact, I got Richie Havens, his, kid, his lawyer at Paul Marshall's, Joe Vagoda, who went on to manage TV uh, Wonder. So anyway... Uh, you went to... You, you originally connected with, um, with with the guy who ran roulette at the old Birdland? Were you... How'd you... Um, Freddie, no, Freddie Weintraub. Well, Freddie Weintraub was one of my dear friends. That's the only reason there's a Woodstock movie. When I was running Mercury, Freddie brought me Leon Bibb for Canada, who no one knew here. And I spent about 110 grand doing a full symphony album. And I was the first person to ever cut a Leonard Cohen song. I cut Suzanne, and Leonard didn't even know it. 
Mercury. The Bib, yeah, Bib, you and Bib were were super tight, man. Well, that album was really good with Leon because it was, I was so used to doing rock and working with Chan and Dean and with the show. I produced the last two Sherelle's records and I wrote them too. When did the word rock come into the lexicon of music? Hmm. A lot of people was, in the studios uh, on the West well, Coast. You know what? Yeah. Rock, first of all, Morris Levy wanted to let manage Alan Freed. And Alan Freed came up with the saying, rock and roll was here to stay. Oh, I love this, And that's dude. why nobody Thank you, Kornfeld. Use, yeah, that's why you couldn't, you, you didn't hear. Morris put his injunction on it so nobody could use rock and roll in any song. That's why it took about 12 years after the name came out for it to be used again when someone finally won a lawsuit. What was the year that first song came out? Rock and Roll Should Have Stayed was around, oh, I would say around... 55? 59, 50, 57. 50, yeah, that's right. So then, then once the lawsuit was gone, then people started to use that word more... Yeah, in fact, Danny called me from Danny and the Juniors, and he sang Rock and Roll was Gonna Stay, and he, yeah, he, he sang Rock and Roll was Gonna Stay, and he sang At the Hop. Yeah, those people keep in touch. You know, we, we, most, most of us have died out. I well, mean, I mean... I'm, I'm gonna be 81, you know, so... Like, well, uh, like my band... You know, I discovered Steve Gadds. I was the first person to ever use him on a record. And Tony Levin from Ken Crimson. Uh, the Audie Cornfell Tree has, has the billion dollar rock band on it. How did you find, Tony how did Levin, you discover Gadd? How did you discover Gadd? Gadd's, Hugh McCracken was my best friend and guitar player. Oh my God, dude. Hugh, man. Oh my God, dude. He was one of my best friends. Hugh, my man. That's who connected us, man. I can feel the no, spirit. So Huey and I did about 40 projects together. Wow. And Huey was up in upstate New York near Eastman School, and he was going to arrange an Audie Portfell solo album called the Audie Portfell Tree on Dunhill. Now it's selling for $400. I have a tattered day. copy of you and, the, and your wife at the time naked up in the tree. Oh, yeah. The greatest album well, of all time. Actually, with the, with the trunk down, whoever I hired, I told them what I wanted, they did. It's un, I, mean, it, I was like this, and then you're telling me that McCracken's like, I got this killer rhythm section yeah, up no, in... I, I, McCracken knows his material. Because I wrote all the songs Holy on shit. the album. This is and, unreal. Uh, he says, Audie, uh, he says, I, I found a, a drummer and a bass player up here in Rochester. They went to they went to the uh, Eastman School, and um, they're really good. Do you want to you want to take a shot and just go with me, and we'll book them to play on your album. He said they've never played on a record before, <laughs> and they've never been paid to play. So I said, book them for the whole album, really. Because I trusted you as dear over mine. That so you is, you at, just, that was the greatest story of the calendar year so far. Yeah, and then and then undercover, never to be repeated, is I turned Gads off to blow when he got strung out. I felt terrible. Because I, I also found his cocaine anonymous. Right, no, Stevie, I've chronicled that Demiola, a lot of those cats could not believe he would be strung out 
hung over, like in the studio, and they'd put they'd tape together some sophisticated fusion music, and he would just blow through it, and they'd be like, "That's the same dude." I mean, he, he no, I mean he had he had to leave the studio scene altogether. You were obviously instrumental in getting him sober too. No, funny story. This is confidential. Is McCracken calls. I was living on Sutton Place already on the fiftieth floor, and Huey calls me and said, "Artie, I'm in the studio with Max. Max Rapinat, who's a friend of ours, and Huey, Huey produced him." Ma- uh, Doctor John. Yeah. Did you know that Huey arranged the Thrillers Gone and played the other lead with with Huey? Uh, I mean, the the man is just as he's just an assassin, dude. Unreal. When in my closet, I have I have three cuts that weren't released. I have three BB King finished cuts that were never released. No one's ever heard of. Um. So, Artie, I mean, is it fair to say that I'm always fascinated because a lot of the cats. <clears throat> the uh, Tedesco on the West Coast was uh, ubiquitous. Tommy? Are you talking about Tommy? Yeah, no, I just want to get through the question here, and then you can yeah, respond. Tedesco and Pittman. Yeah, they, so the, a lot of the guys, not Tedesco, but uh, Bill Pullman, Pittman, uh, James Burton to a degree, when rock music came in to the fold, they became kind of irrelevant, and at that point, Larry Carlton, Dean Parks, and Louis Shelton took over. And to tell you the truth, the New York the New York studio band, because I worked with the with, with Hal Blaine and Glenn Campbell was a friend of mine. They all played on Dead Man's Curve, you know. No, no, I, I just want to ask you this question, and then you can riff. Vinnie, no, Be- who was who were the, the cats? Who were the fir- who were the cats that preceded preceded um, uh, McCracken? And you know, because- yeah, I know who the guys Charlie Macy on guitar. Everett, Bark- Everett Barksdale? Everett Barksdale? Buddy, Buddy Salzman on drums. Yes, Buddy Salzman. The guy's playing on the song and record I produced, Rain the Park. I love the flower girl. Who were, now, who was that? Say the, that, that group. Eric the Councils. I, I, I wrote and produced it away for first record. The Rain the Park and other things. I love the flower girl. Oh, yeah. And you want to know something funny about that? I'm in the studio... I did the whole thing, and I, I mixed it. it was, you know, there was a million harmonies on that. And and I finished the whole record, and I did a great mix, and then I called SIR. You know, it's for SIR. Oh, yeah, the right student, it, stu- yeah, studio, yeah. yeah. So I said, send me over every tape you have with rain on it. <laughs> they sent me over 160 copies of rain. I couldn't find the rain I wanted on that record. <laughs> so I, I, I called this so I always said, you better come and take this stuff back. And as they were wheeling out, this is my George Barton influence, I took a look and there was one on the bottom that said, bacon frying in a pan, okay? <laughs> so I said to myself, I already thought it out. If I slow this down the way they slowed down the Elvis Presley Echo, and if I take it off the machine and wrap it around a mic stand, and I said, I bet it comes up with the rain sound. And sure enough, it was in exact. That I didn't tell the councils until three years ago. <laughs> so they, all the whole life they went through pretending it was rain, and they didn't even know it wasn't. None of those, none of those cut, they, SIR they cuts. They didn't play. That was all my studio guys. Unbelievable. So I want you to just, for, for the record, this is really important for the audience. 
Who were those studio cats? Back then. Who were the ones on that on that track? Oh, uh, it was uh, Leroy Glover on piano. Uh, Kenny Kenny Asher, and also Kenny Asher. Wow. Uh, uh, wow. Bernard Purdy happened to be in New York, so he played on it. And Vinnie Bell played guitar, the Belzuki. Vinnie Bell, who created the Belzuki. Yeah, dude, record. I want to talk about Vinnie Bell. Dude. Vinnie Bell preceded Hugh? No, Vinnie, Vinnie Bell worked on uh, 20 albums with me. Was, but but uh, he was the... the Behind him. Right, but was he in, were he and Hugh Piers, or was he in the studio before McCracken? No, when I came in and I had my first hits in 63, Yeah, uh, that was a studio band in New York. You know, and Audie Kaplan, who, who even played the sax on Locomotion, he was the number one contractor in New York. Dude, you and Kaplan were running the show. Well, no, I just... Uh, I was a boss, and I told the guys what I wanted, and mm-hmm. they gave me what I wanted. And if it wasn't right, I changed it. Um, how did you get comfortable telling people what to do? Can you talk about a pivotal moment early on when you faced some adversity? Oh, no, because I wrote, I wrote uh, BMI has 350 of my songs registered. And 57 made the, made the top 100 in Cashbox and Billboard. And and uh, and three hundred were recorded by Connie Francis and she hit me and those kind of artists. Wow! Yeah, yeah. You know. No, but I'm talking like you're down in D.C. You just sort of I'm sure it's in your book, but it's like you gloss over the idea that you just waltzed into the Capitol Records. But you, there must no, have been. No, I was down at I left Delphi. I was president of my class and I was high. I went to American. I ran a course as heavy sister. I get a job working in the cafeteria to make some money, and there's this heavy set girl in a corner with a guitar case open, and it's Cass Elliott. Oh, so we became friends, and she got me into folk music. And that's how it started for me. And then I, and then I went with Johnny Cash, and I got a Gibson Dove. We got the last two Gibson Doves. What are you talking show. about? Wait, what do you, what do you mean? She, she knew Johnny? Did she know Johnny? Of course, I, of course, I knew Johnny. I had Roger Miller on Mercury. No, no, no. Did Cass? How did Cass help you? Did she know Johnny Cash, or how did she get you? No, no, no. Yeah. Johnny Cash and I got a, at Manny's in New York. Picked up the last two ones of the old. At Manny's dogs. music? Are you kidding me? No. Oh my, Cornfeld, you're blowing my mind right now. I've been taking the subway into the city for years. Did you know Milt Jackson? Those cats used to hang out. Lee, uh, Kenny Durham used to hang out there all the time. Yeah. I mean the yeah. J- so so, but I'm saying so you so you're in the cafeteria. You were basically. Oh, and there's a girl singing singing folk music with a guitar case open, and people dropping money at it. And I was working at the steam table, and then we I was I was a musician, so we started to talk. And then she started to play. We would get together and hang out. And, and then uh, and then she talked me into getting a guitar. And I got a cheap guitar. And right. then later on, uh, Johnny said, Oh, if you're going to get a guitar, try to get one of the last original Gibson and Dubs. Oh, my so God, Cash, dude. He said, Manny's going to have to. Oh, my God. And I, uh, I, I met him at Manny's and picked up my guitars. 
I knew him because Roger Miller was a friend. Um, so you were writing... Mercury had a good country department. Mercury had an amazing country department. Actually, some of the stuff you put out was in... I guess you put it out on... Um, you put a lot of Gene Pitney stuff out, too. Well, yeah, Gene Pitney did some of my songs. And also, uh, two friends of mine did the Pied Piper, and they died. And that was... Uh, Bobby Fuller did the Pied Piper. You know my song was Pied Piper? Absolutely, of course. Um, did you... Did you... Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I did the first version. I was the Changing Times. And um, I was on the I Got You Babe tour with Sonny and Sheriff for 28 cities. From from picking up a guitar at Manny's, how did you get closer to upper management at Capitol? Oh, no. Capitol came after me. Now, why were they... You had just picked up a Gibson and you were playing... Well, no, I met, I met Charles Koppelman in a staff hall at Queens College. He had just signed with Donnie Kirster. I, I said I made a $50 demo, which I did. And uh, he said, well, I'm, I'm now the head of a song plugging for Screen Gems Music. It's the hottest publishing company in the world, which it was. We were getting more BMI awards at Motown. And, and we didn't have our own artists. Wow. And uh, I got lost. I flashed back to No, things. you're fine. You, so you went in and you... So Charlie said to me, do you really have a demo? And I said, yeah. He says, well, why don't you come in tomorrow? So I, I had to take the Long Island Railroad and connect with a subway. Yes, and, you know, dude. I, I did that all screen. the time. Yeah, and I got the screen. I, well, it was 1650 Broadway because wow. we hadn't moved to screen chips yet. It was Nevis Kirshner. Right, music. right. Yeah, I was a Nevis Kirshner writer. And uh, and uh, Charlie liked it, so he played it for Donnie, and I left, I left with a $500 advance from BMI. And 125 a week. Advanced looking sort of Dude, Artie Corner. I mean, this. And then I met Jan Berry sort of in my first four months. I had three songs in the top 20. How were the. What were the radio stations that were giving you a lot of love? I mean, and first of all, the other question is this Freeform Radio didn't exist at that time. And I'm trying to square the circle here. Like. No, BAI was one of the first Freeforms. And uh, and Air America. That Danny Goldberg, Danny Goldberg, who started Air America, was on my st promotion staff for Woodstock. Are you kidding me? How old was he? He was a kid. Yeah. So, yeah. do you remember, like, ultimately, uh, like, did did you ever meet uh, Timothy Leary? Yeah. Can you talk about him? I'll tell you just a quick story. When Tim was in jail, I was staying with Rosemary the week he got out of jail, and I was staying with Rosemary at their apartment in Berkeley. That's how close I was to that group. Wait a minute. Wait, hold on. You, Rose, I'm sorry. Rosemary I, I, was... I, and I knew Fetch and Gretchen very well. I, I want to talk... You know what? She's. Uh, let's just talk about Fetch and Gretchen, the piano player with the Merry Pranksters. She is an enigma to me. Break it down. I want to know the whole relationship. Oh, Fetch and Gretchen. I was, cannot uh, believe you. Ken Babs. She was married to Ken Kesey. No, she. Okay, so I mean, when did you first? Well, first of all, Leary. Who was Rosemary? Leary's girl. 
Rosemary was great. It was she beautiful? Oh my God! All right, so yeah. fetching. When did she come into the to the mix to the mix with Cornfeld? Oh no, I I went out with. Uh, I had a hit with Bert Summer, who was in Woodstock, but didn't get the movie. And I made the movie deal. It's all my deal. Right. And they didn't put Bert in. And uh, so I put out We're All Playing in the Same Band that he wrote at Woodstock. Oh, I love it. On my own label, and it went top 20. So I went out to see Tom Donnie with Case. Oh, I love this. Yeah, in fact, this is fantastic. I Tom and Rachel Donnie all the year because I lived in Florida. And I had some incredible Colombian blood. And <laughs> I got him stoned in mud. And, and Don Dunny took the station off the air by mistake for an hour. He was so he stoned, could, dude. He, he couldn't find out. Well, he was a friend of mine. I know him from just hanging out. Oh, my God. Dude. So he, the station went down. And then... And yeah, 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 then, yeah, then... It was funny, Chris, when I had the councils on the Ed Sullivan show... I was the first producer that I had the strength with Ed that he'd let me come in and mix the councils before they did the show. Like, we're not even a sound check. I worked up for four hours. <laughs> no, but no, no, I don't want to, we, 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 I don't want to get off this, this tangent. You went out for, you politic for Bert Summer. Where is Fet, Gretchen Fett? Where is she? Gretchen Fett, when I was, went to San Francisco to promote Bert Summer. I went to the Trident restaurant and saw Salido because I was staying with Tommy. I was going to see Tommy Smothers who lived in Mill Valley. Oh, my God. And, and I went into the... Uh, the, the Trident, my... The, dude, Denny Zeitlin's playing there? What the heck is yeah, going on? Yeah, no, I, I, all I know is that I left a Nikon after 14 lenses there when I left. <laughs> and, and then I called and this girl get on. She says, Artie, I waited on you and I have your, I have your camera. And I was at Tommy Swether's house, so I said, which was only 10 minutes away. So I went over, we met, and whatever, whatever, whatever it was, it was. But she was really fun to be in love with. You guys were an item for a while. No, no. Um, no. But I mean... Try, hour, try hours. So, were you, did you hang with the Merry Pranksters at some point? No. Uh, Ken Kesey and those cats. Uh, no, I, I didn't hang with them. I know them. Right, but you just she was working at the Trident, and after that, you never. Yeah, they, they they were breaking up. I think at that point. Wow. Um. Whatever. So the movie itself with Bert Summer went made top twenty. No, the record I put out on my label by Bert Summer doing well while playing at the same band. Went top twenty even on, uh, you know, the national radio shows where they listed the top twenties. Yeah, it was a great record, and if it wasn't for politics, it would have been a number one record. And Bert Summer would have, I, you know, I made the movie deal four days before Woodstock. Right. There was no movie deal, and I made the record deal too. In fact, the contract with Warner Brothers. That only reason there's a Woodstock movie is because when I had when I when Freddie Weintraub managed me on bid and owned the bitter end, he came to see me at Capitol and I signed me on bid. So they had turned down Woodstock Ventures. I was busy promoting it, it trying to get a half a million people, and I did. So that worked, but but, but uh, 
Oh God, there's just so many memories. Dude, you're we're, dude. We've been cooking for thirty five minutes. You're not in pain anymore. No, I'm in a lot of pain. Do you want to? Yeah, I, I just I just shifted to another place. Oh, dude, you are. I mean, you already. It's Mother's Day. I feel so honored to talk to you. We all have loss in our life and void. But I just wanted you to talk a little bit about how love has sustained you in your career and in your personal life. Well, my personal life is Linda Cornfield, who passed away. She. Uh, how did you meet her? her I, I met her at the LaSalle Diner in Queens Boulevard. It was a diner that everybody in Forest Hills went to. And uh, I, I saw this gorgeous girl, and it took me six months to get the nerve. And what happened was, Brian and I and Jan did Dead Man's Curve, and I said to Cursor, it's not fair. Jan has a, Jan has a, a Corvette, and Brian has a Corvette, and I don't have one. So Donnie gave me money, and I bought a Corvette. Then it was pouring out, <laughs> and I had looked at this girl for six months, and I was afraid to talk to her. If you go if you go along that wall, you'll see pictures of her. A picture of her that's incredible. She was a model, Linda. Yeah, well, and, uh, she. I mean, she looked. The picture of her on the cover was what attracted me immediately. And then I saw this other guy, and I was like, "This dude looks like a complete psychedelic Doors of Perception cat." Turned out to be Artie Kornfeld. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. So I mean, but I mean, how how does you've how have you dealt with with losing people in your life? Uh, hard. How do I deal with it? Uh, well, I mean, everybody loses. Like, I mean, you know, like there was an old song in the in the fifties. Every day I have to cry. So. And the fact that I meditated because John and Paul got me into meditation when I came back from India. Uh, I mean, I was, so I was what, what about I mean I thought George was the meditation cat those all well, I, didn't know, I didn't know George I was friends with John with Paul and John and I met in the studio at the record plant and for about a month I was doing a session in the studio next to him and I got his band together on, on Double Fantasy and him and I after we got finished at 2 in the morning we sit for a couple of hours for about a month every night we never talked about the Beatles, and we never talked about Woodstock. We just talked about life. So I got to know Don, uh, John on that level. That is that. So you went out to L.A. to to do that? No, I was in New York at, on Eighth Avenue at the at the record plant. Yeah, the Hit Factory. Yeah. No. Well, the record plant was the record plant came before the Hit Factory. Um. I was going to say, the uh, and you, I'm looking here. Take a look, you'll see Imagine was cut at the record plant. This is, no, dude, this is sick. First of all, my dear, dear old friend, rest in peace, Howard Johnson's on this. Um, mm -hmm. Andy Newmark played drums. Again, the, I, know, I know Andy. I know Andy. No, but you said you put the band together, right? No, but I know, no, no. No, which, on John's stuff? Yeah, you said you got that band no, together. No, for no, there was, just a, there was just a bunch of guys. McCracken, David Spinoza. Kenny Asher, you know, the piano player. Kenny played the, the uh, piano on Vigil for Troubled Waters. Yeah. yeah. It was a very tight thing, you know. There was uh, the musicians' unions where we all hung out in New York. Can you talk about the best 
being a, an arranger and a writer with the horn sections, back then not every horn was mic'd. So the, 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 the unit had to balance themselves. Who were the best guys at being balanced in terms of horn players that you called into the studio? Well, to tell you the truth, it was Hardy uh, Kaplan who put together the rhythm sections. And the Kaplan did? Yeah. Kaplan oh. played the solo on Locomotion. No, you told me that. So you. So you... Hardy Kaplan played the solo on 290 rock records that were hits. So you would. He was, he was a top contractor in the rock days. Absolutely. So, you is it fair to say that he would get production credits for some of those songs if he did the arrangements, or no? Uh, no, I was a producer of all my records. Right, but times have changed. Like, Louis Shelton did a guitar solo on a monkey's last train to... Uh, yeah, and I turned the, you know, I produced Davy Jones when he was in Oliver, because my friend Lionel Mark, the, the British guy who died, right. Sir Lionel Mark was a friend of mine, and Davy Jones's manager came to see me when I was with Donnie Kirshner. So I took Davy Jones in and cut him. Yeah, and it was so funny because I turned the monkeys down. <laughs> and I turned down the Dave Clark Five because I said, I don't want to produce musicians that aren't really musicians. I don't want to produce actors. Right, right, actors. right. And you know what? The Partridge family... I had gotten together, and it was called the Cowsons family. And the father was a drunken bum, ripped the kids off for $50 million. The Rain in the Park was huge. It still is <sighs> around the world. And, and that album went probably too. You know, the Cowsons album. They, they got released from Mercury. I didn't even want to produce it. And I got off the road with Chuck Berry and... Uh, you know, I did that internet show that I, I got to 24 million hits in five years. You were you, you were playing the Chitlin circuit with Chuck Berry? Yeah, well, I was at Mercury, so I went on there with Chuck. Well, I mean, you were at Mercury it's as like, a... It's like, it's like a stop from getting arrested. Sure. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I even though you were... So you were playing, like, like, like rhythm guitar on that tour? No, I was just out there representing Mercury. I, I dig, did, I dig, I dig. So, what were I what were? Vice, I was a vice president of uh, rock music at Mercury. All right, so let me ask you a question. I had Jackie Wilson, you know. Who else? I, I put out Tommy James because I hated the record. I think that was so bad when I came in. And I knew Tommy was like through the record out. Tommy didn't know it was out, and he was working in a a jiffy loop like in uh, Pennsylvania, and the record was number one, and he didn't know. It was out. Not, dude, that's the, this is why I do my show, man. I lo that's well, the greatest you know, story ever. In, in his book, he wrote twice. It was funny because Neil Young, in his, in his book, he wrote the one before this one. He wrote. They said Audie Cornfield was the greatest music man in the history of America. The greatest what? That's what Neil Young called me in his book. What did he say? Great, greatest music man? He said, Artie Kornfeld's the greatest music man in the history of the I, world. I, I, I agree with him 100%. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm still... I mean, I'm, dude, dude, to get the amount of things that you got across the finish line, so many great ideas, very few get accomplished. You completed so well, yeah, much. Like when I went into college, I, by the sophomore year, I was president of the my class... You know, and then I pitched, and I pitched to 
I pitched a perfect game against West Point. That was point. <laughs> no, I was always... You had the knuckleball going, dude. Yeah, I told you about that. No, no, I just guessed. I figured, I'm like, he's probably throwing a knuckler, dude. Yeah, it was great because you never knew where I was going. Wait, hold on. That was your nasty pitch, wasn't it? You, 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 were you well, just... I couldn't, I, you know, starting in Little League, I could never learn a curve. Right. I could never throw a curve. Right. And I knew Lady Lopat was a great ball player pitcher in the 50s. And uh, I used to watch him, and then I saw the way he held the ball. And the guys now, they throw a knuckleball, they use the tips of their fingers. But uh, now I can't throw because of my, my injuries. Hold on for a second. I, I, what I what kind of sport did this guy that. play? What kind of sport did he play? Well, I let it in five sports. No, no, no. The, the guy who threw the knuckler with his hands really tight his in. Name was, his name was Eddie Lopez. And what did he play? He played baseball? He was a, he was a, he was a big knuckleballer at the major Okay, and he held it differently than the way the guys do today. Well, they throw with the tips of their fingers, not their knuckles. He literally threw it with his knuckles. And I, and I threw my knuckles. Oh, my God. Dude, where is... I need a radio... I need some kind of radio playback from that West Point. Was there any broadcast uh, of that? No, that was a broadcast. No, not in those days. This was in nineteen. Uh, this was in nineteen sixty-one. This is the great. So, it, what, what was the field like? I mean, it was like a. It wasn't. Yeah, you have kids driving nine hours in a bus from Long Island up to West Point. Oh my God, dude! And I love this. We dude. stayed. We stayed over. And we ate with the cadets. <clears throat> and you were just you were you were just throwing the the Nuxy and they couldn't do anything with it. No, no, nothing. Um, did you work with Bill Graham a lot? Well, yeah, I, well, because I was with Neil Young and Elliot Roberts for four years, and I did the I did four bitch concerts with them. What would you? Did you have? Did you? Uh, like Neil Young's Neil Young's benefit concert. Absolutely, I, I, Neil hired me. Uh, I can't even tell you how much they, he paid me over four years. I gave him his first, his first two platinum albums. Uh, I made him about forty million dollars extra. You feel I, like I, you were, I, and you were yeah. not compensated fairly. No, I did Rockin' in the Free World. I promoted Rockin' in the Free World, Harvest Moon. You know, I did those those two albums, and then Elliot Roberts. I turned down Rick O'Casey because uh, he did a solo album, and I met with him and his his Russian model wife. Right, he's pretty spectacular. And, <laughs> you know, no, there's a million things. I, my my back is killing. Hey, you want to call me during the week? Call yeah, me. man. Did you? I mean, I just wanted to get, take you out of the gloom for a minute. I, I just, you know, we had. I think we got no, some great. You got me into it, and you know, you're talking about the days I lost. Hey, man. And if I wasn't hurting so bad. Hey, man. We'll do. The, we'll do I, set. I'll call I, you this I, week. Yeah, give me a call, bro. Hey, man, no listen, just feel better, man. Take it easy. Hey, be, be as we say. Hey, man, much love to you, baby. Okay, you right. too, bro. Take care, bro.